Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It felt worse than having my legs blown off because it was so personal. It was very about me. It just felt like somebody had said, no, thanks, Harry, we don't like you. Hi, and welcome to Write Off, a podcast about writing rejection and how people get through it. I'm Francesca Steele, a journalist and writer based in London. Writing rejection has been a subject close to my heart ever since I didn't manage to sell my first book last year. If you're interested, you can hear a little bit more about that in the first episode in this series and in the trailer. My guest this week is Harry Parker, a writer and artist who had a really interesting route to publication. Harry is an army veteran who, as you can hear from that intro, lost his legs following an IED explosion while on tour in Afghanistan. Several years later, back in the UK, Harry wrote a novel, Anatomy of a Soldier, which tells the story of Sergeant Tom Barnes, who also loses his legs in an explosion, through the perspective of 45 inanimate objects. A gun, a bag of fertiliser, a prosthetic leg, a grieving mother's handbag... It's an extraordinary book, disorienting, unusual and incredibly moving. And in 2016, when it was published, Harry was featured as one of the Observer's new faces of fiction. The book got rave reviews and won the Waverton Good Read Award the following year. Overall, a pretty incredible experience for a debut novelist. But his second book did not go so well. It didn't sell. And Harry, who is clearly an extremely resilient guy, is nonetheless very candid here about how personal that rejection felt and how hard it's been to get over. It's a great reminder, I think, that writing success is not linear, even for established authors. You have to be prepared for bumps in the road and allow yourself time to accommodate them. I'm really grateful to Harry for speaking so honestly about what that was like. You can find Anatomy of a Soldier and books by my other guests at my online bookstore. The link is uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Francesca Steele. So here's Harry. Yeah, so I was um, I was in the army 
before I was injured for about three years, three or four years. And then I was injured in Afghanistan and lost both my legs and then went into the sort of quite long uh, rehabilitation process, uh, which took about a year, maybe a year and a half, sort of physical re rehab. Um, the sort of coming to terms mentally is, you know, it's hard to define how long it takes, um, but, but probably about two to three years until you sort of feel like you're yourself again. I worked in the foreign office and in Whitehall and did all sorts of other things. I suppose it was about seven years after I was injured that I, maybe six years, that I started to write. First, actually, I started painting, but I couldn't really say what I wanted to say uh, painting. And I, I, I should probably say I went to art school before I was in the army. Sort of, it's, it's what I always wanted to do, be an artist, but sort of ended up in the army. And um, and then, yeah, I started writing and I was still working in the foreign office, sort of writing in my lunch break. And my um, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, said, uh, you should just quit that job and, and, and write the book. So that's what I did. I uh, quit the foreign office. I gave myself uh, I gave myself sort of three months to write it before the sort of money ran out and I sort of had to find a proper job again. And yeah, that, that's sort of how I, I came to write it. So actually that that writing of it was was quite fast. I guess at that stage you'd been mulling it over for quite a while. Yes, I think having tried writing a few times now, having it sort of, I had it pretty much in my head. I think it helps when it's based on something that's quite autobiographical, although for me the book is fiction. I think for almost anyone else who reads it, they read it as sort of autobiographical fiction. Um, but I, I very much, in my in my imagination, turned things around and and, and made it a sort of creative endeavour as much as possible, uh, which I think allowed me to do it. So so I think yeah, having it all in my in my imagination almost before I even started writing really helped for it then to just sort of splurge out, uh, and it it did come out quickly. It took me about twelve weeks to write it. And, that, and then sort of editing took a bit longer than that, obviously, and, and the whole process of getting it published, obviously, much longer. But yeah, it was quick. It was quick. It's such it's such a brilliant and, and unusual and powerful book. I've, I've never really read anything else like it. And it, it obviously, because in part, it narrates the story of both the soldiers as a soldier and the insurgents from the point of view of various objects. I think for me, the hardest one to read about, and in a way the most powerful, was the oscillating saw, which performs the amputation that removes Tom's second leg. And it's it's a funny one because it's both extremely visceral and emotional, and yet also kind of detached because the narrators aren't people. I was just wondering which for you were the most memorable or satisfying objects to write? Yeah, it's, it feels a long time ago now, and it almost feels like somebody else wrote it in a way. Um, mm. But I think the ones that I enjoyed writing most were actually the ones like, for instance, the instance, the Persian rug, which it was sort of something about writing from the point of a view of an object that could be made. You could sort of tell the story of that and then moves around the world. You could sort of I just really enjoyed how you could play around with this narrative point of view where it was slightly detached and emotional, but somehow you could connect different people and different stories in quite a sort of interesting way and, and I really enjoyed that sort of creative challenge of, of sort of yeah using this weird point of view and what you could do with it to to basically tell tell stories yeah. I read somewhere that your wife initially told you that um, the idea of writing it in that way sounded potentially a bit gimmicky is that right? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, there's still people, you know, I know there's people who find it gimmicky. And I think had I been to any writing courses, I never would have written this book like I did, because I think the first rule of all writing courses is never write from the point of view of an object um, <laughs> because it's gimmicky. It's funny you say that because I did a writer's course at Faber Academy and we used an uh, extract from your book as one of the examples, but I guess that was after <laughs> publication. Yeah, exactly. Well, they published the book, so they probably, yeah, exactly. a bit biased. But um, no, I, I sort of know it's a strange way of writing and it's very, um, you know, we all have different imaginations and we see the world very differently. And, and this is this is definitely sort of suits my imagination and the way I, I thought about it. There's lots of reasons I did it, you know, the, the detachment, the way I could be creative with it, the way I could not, I could sort of write something that was very personal and, and have some distance from it um, helped. But also I think for me, it made it more powerful. Uh, that won't be the case for everyone, but the, the distance somehow for me creates more, um, yeah more impact I think you know yes I think I think that's right it reminded me in some ways although it is um wholly of itself really but it reminded me in some ways of sometimes when you read from the perspective of a small child where there's a kind of comprehensive way of viewing things but there's also a kind of helplessness there was times when I fiddled around with how much sort of objects know if that makes sense because they don't really have personality they're sort of points of experience but it does sort of start to creep in that the objects sort of have a sense of how the characters might be feeling or some of their sort of internal world and I think that was all quite interesting for me you know how sort of abstract it could be and and mm. but, it, but it's um yeah you know playing around with those things is always a fun way of writing it. and so was it fun to write that three months in particular that you took off was it a very enjoyable experience because I mean you said you were an artist um, before that but this was entirely new wasn't it yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I went to, I did a literary event that I remember quite clearly. And there was a woman in the front row who sort of said, you know, she sort of said, you've, you've, you've got PTSD, haven't you? And this is your, this is your therapy. And I had to explain that I didn't have PTSD, which is quite hard for some people to realise when, that, that even though you've had both legs blown off in a conflict, you might not have PTSD. Um, mm. And that she was, she was adamant that this was, this was my therapy. And at the time I was very, um, you know, I was very adamant myself that this wasn't therapy. It was purely a creative thing. And that's how it felt at the time. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of exercising my demons or, or anything like that. But, but actually looking back with a bit more perspective, although it wasn't therapy, having written a few books now, I think whenever you write a book, you pour so much into it that there's an element of sort of, catharsis just printing out 90,000 words on a printer for the first time and that's one of the most amazing moments and there's something quite cathartic about that whether it's complete fiction or something that's completely autobiographical because you really do lay yourself bare in any writing and uh, so so I might if she asked me the question again I might be a little bit more tempered in selling her that it definitely wasn't therapy, but it, it yeah, at the time, it definitely felt like creative, fun thing to do. And I was really having fun writing it. You know, it was really, you know, I love being creative and that's, and that's why what gave me the biggest kick out of it, really. So you wrote it, you edited it, and then, and then did you quickly find an agent? What was the process after that? I was really lucky. I got um, offered by a couple of agents who, 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 were, who were willing to take it on. And then I, I was really lucky. I had a quite a difficult choice to make. Um, and then it was, you know, it was, it was, 
it was critically acclaimed. It was extremely well reviewed. You were included in The Observer's New Faces of Fiction in 2016. What was that publishing process like for you? And how did all that acclaim feel once the book was actually out? And one of the reasons I wanted to ask that, I mean, it's interesting for everyone, but there's, a, there's actually a heartbreaking bit in the book where Tom is back home and cries and worries that everyone is now looking at him because he's an amputee and that suddenly sort of hits home I guess is that Mm. how you felt recovering from your injuries and then was there a kind of different version of that that sort of sense of being stared at in in a different way as a celebrated debut author I don't know if that's a weird conflating of things but it's a very good observation and I think um you know, we can be lots of different people at once, I think. And I'm definitely an introvert and I don't really like being the centre of attention. But yet I've written this book. And it's a, it's a strange thing about writing is that you can sit on your own for months and months and months and write something. And then because of the market and the way it works, you have to then go and sell it. But I'd sort of accepted that that was part of it. And actually, for lots of reasons, although I'm a bit of an introvert, I'm I'm quite lucky I can... I don't mind too much standing on a stage and talking about it. And I think the sort of critical acclaim and things like that, I wouldn't go that far, but um, it, you know, it's actually, you know, we all dream of, you know, anyone who's ever sat down to write a book, um, if they have an imagination, is always potentially imagining what it might be like to be reviewed and have a good review and maybe win a prize and all those things. You know, I think that's human nature is, certainly was for me so when parts of it start to come true it's it's um yeah it's it, it is odd and also it's different um even what I found was even a good review uh, was quite exposing because you know I was lucky that most of the reviews I had were were very positive I mean the first review I had was actually a real panning which was quite worrying because I thought oh, oh no god I'm in for a load of really bad reviews but but actually, I was I, on the whole, I was very lucky with the reviews I had and how widely it was reviewed. And but but even so, you know, I would read them and I'd sort of throw them down on the table, and my wife would then pick it up and read it and say, "What are you? Why have you thrown it on the table? It's 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 pretty good." And for for some reason, I found that even I would sort of read the bits that weren't, you know, that didn't see it the way I saw it, and had taken something that wasn't I didn't feel true about the book, even though overall they were positive. So. And since then, and having had other experiences of writing, actually just being reviewed at all, it's, it's pretty cool. No matter what the review is, you know, just the thought that anyone's even listening is it's half the battle. <laughs> so then you started work on a second book, which I recall from another podcast at the time is not from the point of view of objects. Yeah, so I've, I've, you know, I've started, like I'm sure lots of people, I've started, I've started a lot of books, a lot of projects. Um, there was a book that I was writing almost as soon as I finished. You know, it was burning very brightly in my imagination um, almost as soon as I finished Anatomy of a Soldier. And it, I, and I was very, I was very, you know, it was very alive for me. And I wrote it for, and it was not a very long book, but it took, you know, I was, I was writing it and I thought, thought it was the best book that had ever been written Uh, (laughs) and it turned out that it was far from that I think I was just probably too close to it but but yeah that I wrote that over about a year I suppose and then rewrote it uh, a number of times for uh, in the in the sort of dialogue with my agent 
and uh, and then sent it to a publisher and it and they said actually this is not good and this is a bit broken this book and we're not sure how you can fix it um, and then now I'm actually writing another book uh, which is non-fiction and that's for for the welcome collection which is a very different book and it's about something very different but it's but I and then there's a few small projects along the way you know I've tried a few children's books because I draw as well and those two you know although they've got to publishers yeah. and it's sort of been put around they've never been sort of taken up so you you sort of start to um I think starting with a success like I did is probably more unusual than than, than, than sort of having to work a bit harder for it and then having a few years of, of not having success has been I'll admit it's, it's been very hard to take at times and really changes your your sort of your outlook on what you do essentially yes let's go back to that second book if that's all right mm. what what was that about <laughs> I almost don't want to talk about it um, <laughs> so it was it was about Oh God, it's so hard to talk about now. It was about a, a it was about a man who walked into Westminster and set himself on fire, and it and it as a sort of protest. But that's the very start, and then the whole book is about this hospital who is trying to look after this this very burnt man while the world slightly falls apart because of the riots that are going on outside. The idea was a sort of the Arab Spring comes to London, and mm. it was quite a sort of strange meant to be a sort of quite strange little book not too long almost a novella um and I, I although I still believe the idea is okay I couldn't pull it off in a narrative sense if that makes I couldn't I couldn't make it work and I can see that now and it was sort of overwritten and I you know I thought I was better than I was and all that sort of stuff but um yeah it was yeah that was the story and had you agreed that story or something like that with your agent before you started writing or was it just kind of you on your own creating it and then giving it to your agent once you'd done a first draft? I think I was I was the one very much, um, you know, it was my idea. And, and although I talked to my agent and an editor at Faber who'd edited the first book and they were very, in, they were, you know, they were into the idea and, and they were sort of enthusiastic, of course, that, you know, they could only be supportive of me. It wasn't like they it wasn't like they were saying yeah this is great we'll definitely publish this and things it was mm. you know and it's always it's always much more grown up than that you know you know no one's gonna unless you're one of the one percent uh household name writers out there you know very few publishers are going to take any risk on on someone who who isn't that um on an idea they've got you know if that makes sense yes and then and then so you you redrafted a bunch of times and then you sent it out or your your agent sent it out to publishers and and then and then what happened I know you sort of said but was it a long period of time um of people coming back and saying no or no actually I only sent it to one publisher and the publisher published my book and I think the response and chatting to my agent made me realise that I shouldn't send it out any further. So it wasn't that long. It was just okay. the length of time it took my the editor at Favour to read it. And I think the reason I didn't send it out wider was because he said he'd had an author who'd, who'd won, you know, the biggest prizes out there and then had written a book that wasn't very well reviewed. And his advice was that I shouldn't publish. Essentially, it felt like you shouldn't publish this book. It's not good enough. You can do better, I think was the was the sort of advice so I sort of took me a bit of time and, and a lot of anger to sort of get around that because I think you know the thing about writing a novel or even non-fiction 
which I'm now now doing, is that you're really laying yourself bare. And when somebody says, oh, actually, this book's not for us, we don't we don't think it's quite good enough. What you hear as an author is you're not quite good enough and mm. you're you know, you're not for us because it feels so personal. It's a, it's a sort of well, that's how it felt to me. Should I, you know, should I say it? You, you, you know, it becomes you, even if it's fiction, because, um, you know, it is you. You know, you, you you created it out of nothing. And I think that's why it's hard to take, uh, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't know what you think, Francesca. Yes, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I, I think it's so interesting to hear the way that you were sort of given this career advice in that way. Because I think when you start writing, and this is maybe a good thing in some ways, you don't think of the career trajectory. You think about what you're writing. But actually, when someone turns around and says, you know, this isn't your best work, you can do better. I mean, that, that, that's a compliment, really. But it would be hard not to hear that as, as the opposite at the time. Yeah, I think especially when you've just spent a year on it and then a year rewriting it, thinking you can fix it. So actually, there are lots of lessons I learned, you know, fail earlier. Set, if you have that relationship with an editor or an agent, which not everyone will, especially if they're starting out get it to them sooner, really work in dialogue. You know, fail early is so important. You know, don't keep hammering at something that isn't good enough. I mean, talking about the career thing, I was in a very, I was employed in the army, which has a very structured career progression. You sort Mm. of know which courses you have to do and who you have to suck up to and and how, how to get promoted and it's pretty clear when you're not good enough to get promoted and that's, and that's you. And I think probably that's probably a little bit easier to accept. But if you go, if you work in a creative industry, it's not like that. It's not linear. It's much more up and down. I think it's much more fluid and you could be very successful for a few years and then spend five years not being successful at all and then become successful again. I think all those things can happen for me. I think that part of being creative is both really liberating and freeing but also it creates a lot of uncertainty especially when you have responsibilities and a family and things like that so yeah I think the career thing is interesting and, and having advice and realizing that you're not just on your own is is important but but it's not the case for everyone I mean at the end of the day it is just you sitting at your computer trying to create something out of nothing yes did you learn anything about the craft of writing from that from that experience of writing the second book? Yeah, I mean, I learned so much, and actually, the line by line writing is, is I would I would say is significantly better than my my first book. Um, I think there's a, I think you can become a bit knowing as well, though you have to be a bit careful. Um, that, you know, there's something about debuts that that when they're not when they're not too sort of you know almost when you haven't read too much there can be something so quite immediate and powerful about that too but in terms of the craft of writing I learned a huge amount and actually I now know that it wasn't it wasn't dead time either you know there's lots of things in it that might come back or you know the whole thing might come back in a different way or different Mm. form you know different medium so you've got to be robust I think but um god it's it is really tough when because when you're sitting writing a book, you know, the day-to-day experience of it for me is, you know, one minute I'm thinking it's the worst thing that's ever been written and it's crap and I can't fix it and no one's ever going to want to read it. And the next day, I think I'm going to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, which is obviously ridiculous, <laughs> but, it, but it does, 
and and sod it you know I can admit that you know but it does swing between these two polar extremes and I think for me that's my sort of experience of it and also why you know just by by in the sort of actual craft of writing you know half the time what I write is crap you know but it but it's only through editing and rereading and editing and rewriting 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 that I get anywhere near anything which is which is good enough I think yeah what what was predominantly wrong with that manuscript if, if you're able to kind of pinpoint one thing that would be helpful to listeners is that is was there something that you learned like not to do again <laughs> yes so don't write unless you're the best writer in the world I wouldn't advise writing from the point of view of a coward um huh, that's so because interesting no, because no one it's very hard to empathize with a coward and you know what we want in stories is transformation probably you know most of us want this a transformation of some kind and so the transformation in my book went from someone who was a coward to someone who was no longer a coward and it in the, in the story I was writing you know some just the the narrative drive and that transformation was just too weak basically and mm. trying to fix that you know in 12 rewrites just didn't work so although there are bits about the book that I think are good enough, there's too much of it that doesn't grip the reader, you know. Does it feel sad to put that book aside, even though, as you've said, you know, maybe maybe it will come back? Um, I mean, I know I find the thought of leaving characters behind and not sort of giving them life, as it were, very sad. What was sad for me was that when I was finishing Anatomy of a Soldier, I thought this is before it was even published. Now, this is as I was writing it. There were so many different ideas I had that were that felt good. And I thought I can write this book and then I can write this book and then I can write this book. And, you know, the biggest shame for me was that I, I set out on this, this second book that didn't work. And all those ideas just wilted and died. I, I lost the confidence to write them anymore because I felt that if if this idea that had burned so bright... I couldn't if I couldn't pull off this idea that burns so bright why would I ever write another book you know how how can I start again because it's such an effort isn't it it's like climbing mm. Everest writing a book um it, it's it, it's it's like building a, a massive pyramid it feels like that to me anyway and mm. so that effort didn't feel necessarily worth it and none of the other ideas came back I had no new ideas for a long time and I you know it's still it's still hard, actually, from that point of view. And that's probably about lots of things, my resilience, my, you know, lots of things that um, I probably need to work on and get over myself. But um, I think there's lots of other parts of it that, you know, you, in, a, in our age where it's so, there's so much storytelling being thrust at us through Netflix and TV and other books, and there's the whole weight of literary history as well, it's very hard to, for me sometimes to think of an idea or want to set out on an idea that feels new or interesting or that hasn't already been said. And that's probably the wrong way about thinking about it. And, I, you, know, you know, I'm getting better at that. But that, that was, there was definitely a long tail to the rejection in, in those terms. I mean, probably what I should have done is just sat down and tried to write something else. But actually, I went off and painted for a year quite a lot of people that you hear about writing rejection from and, and a few of the people I'm speaking to are talking about debuts so you know unpublished first manuscripts in drawers or getting knocked back um, by agents or editors 
And I think there's a huge assumption that once you've made it, you've made it. And then, you know, you don't really need to worry because you sort of think, well, I've been published. And in your case, you know, I've been published very well and been, you know, reviewed well. But clearly, I think yours is not an uncommon story either. And um, it's an, not an uphill battle because there's so much joy to be had in it, but it isn't, as you said before, linear. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's other things that you you might sort of ask yourself in a position like mine. You might think, well, your first novel was very autobiographical. Does that mean you can only write about yourself? Have you not got it in you to create something completely new? And there's other, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about the market forces, but I, I do think it's changed out there. I think publishers, for lots of reasons, have had to become a lot more sort of discerning. Uh, you know, I was very lucky, and I, and I still am. Um, but but I think that there is there is something about the sort of gatekeepers, and, and I now run a history festival, and in a sense, I become a gatekeeper to say yes, <laughs> I want I want that book, but that book's not good enough for my festival, and you you just have to do it because there's an audience, and you've got to do what you think thinks right for the audience. So you know it's 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 hard it's hard out there you know there's lots of people writing books yeah i i basically had a lot of knockbacks on the basis of there being too many similar books out there um yeah, yeah. Uh, my my book is is sort of um comic domestic fiction with a big motherhood drive and there were just a lot of motherhood books out there and i got a lot mm. of very very lovely knockbacks saying I would publish this if we were like three years prior, but can't now, sorry. Which yeah. is, you know, it's it's brutal. Some people might be able to just waltz into the next one, but I couldn't, you know, I was practically catatonic for a month. And then I was like, okay, slowly, yeah, slowly, I mean, you know, we'll sort of get up again, but it's hard. Oh, it was worse than losing my legs. Really? It felt worse. It felt worse than having my legs blown off from a sort of psychological point of view, because... It was so personal. It was very about me. I was having my blown off, legs blown off, although I did slightly blame myself for stepping on the wrong bit of ground. I sort of knew that it was bad luck at the same time. But but the, with the book, it felt, it just felt like somebody had said, no, thanks, Harry, we don't like you. And mm. you just, I just poured two years into it. And, <laughs> you know, it was, that, so that was, I found it very hard to take. And in terms of resilience, I'm quite a resilient bloke, um, but that was that was tough. And I think still impacts the way I make creative decisions. Wow. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it does feel very personal, even though it's clearly not. I felt um, when reviewing my manuscript and, and trying to start on something else, which is, as you say, I think whatever stage you're at, very hard if you've experienced rejection. It's very hard to put pen to paper and have confidence in an idea. I felt actually that I hadn't thought enough about the reader, um, not so much the market, but but the reader um, first time around. Mm. So I had I had put an awful lot of uh, it was fiction, but I had put an awful lot of myself in it, and I was just sort of having fun with words. And <laughs> that's something I'm thinking about going forward into the next one. Yeah, I mean, I met a author who who said, you know, you've got to know your reader, and he said he wrote for a businessman flying from Hong Kong uh, from London to Tokyo, and in that eight hours they would read his thriller, and that's who <laughs> that's who he's trying to entertain. But it, just going brilliant. back to the um, yeah, I, I do think it, it it's a mistake to think too, especially when you're starting out, to think too much about who's going to read it and what a publisher wants, and you know whether there's lots of other books like that out there. 
but I do think you have to have one eye on on the market. It's a business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. And I think not many people can have this luxury. But if you can write a book that, I mean, so the, the best moment for me of publishing that first book that got published, I had reviews. I was shortlisted for a couple of small prizes. I won a very, very small prize. You know, it was all cool. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was great. But the best moment, and I only know this now, was the moment that I printed it out and it was just mine hmm. and it sat on the desk with me and I'd finished it and no one else had read it yet. That's the best moment. And I think if, but if you can sort of even hold on to that, even if you're trying to get it published, I think that can help because if it's good enough in its own right and what you've achieved, then all the other stuff, you know, it's always going to be important and we always dream. But if you can hold on to that, I think that makes a big difference. And yes. I sort of had to remember that with the second book that, you know, printing it out and, and having it and having done it was was an achievement, even though it never went anywhere. You know, and if it had been published, it would have been completely panned, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> oh, but, but but you know, it, it being in flow and all those things that are wonderful as you're writing and being inside your imagination, those are the things that are great about writing. Actually, not sitting at some dinner because you've been shortlisted for a prize is great fun, but it's it's not that great fun, you know. Yeah, it's the the writing's got to be enjoyable. What's next, Harry? Because you mentioned a non-fiction book, and obviously you're an artist and, and you you teach art as well. So yeah, I um I'm I've been writing so the other thing about books is that they can lead to other things. So Anatomy of a Soldier sort of led to another gig with the Welcome Collection, who asked me to write a sort of narrative non-fiction about how technology can repair the body. So it's about all sorts of different med tech and how it can augment and replace and create sort of cyborgs and things like that. So it's a sort of non-fiction book where I stomp around meeting scientists and inventors and engineers who are making all the latest prosthetics and gadgets and gizmos that help people repair after they've been injured or they get ill. So that's the book. And it, I'm just coming to the end of it. I'm into the sort of editing process. But it's also given me a sort of insight to the completely other side of it where a publisher came to me and said, can you write this book? And I went back and forth proposal, which took about a year actually in the end to make sure that they were happy with what I was writing. And then I was I got a year to write it. I obviously missed my deadline for lots of reasons. Um, <laughs> and then the pandemic came along. And so I'm still, you know, I've still got the job, which is great. And hopefully it'll be published. I think it's chalked down for March 2022. So, you know, these things take time. But I'm just in the uh, rewrite stage, having sort of written about 80,000 words. You know, it's it's, a, it's probably a 50, 60,000 word book. So I'm just sort of chopping and changing and rewriting at the moment. That sounds so interesting. And actually, that reminds me that one of my favourite chapters in Anatomy is where Tom gets his first prosthetic and, and, the, and the very sort of minute changes that need to be made to this early piece of equipment. And I think at the end of the chapter, that gets left in a corner and and I actually remember feeling sad for the prosthetic because it was he was going on to better ones is that right I remember yeah, that right yeah, yeah I think you're um, right yeah and I thought that was such a wonderful way of I mean it's it's a really fascinating and presumably very fast moving world it is fast moving but it's also not as fast moving as you I mean parts of it are very fast moving but it's you know it's it's for instance it's the sort of miracle cancer cure that you hear about in the paper and then it, it but it's not going to come along for 10 years time 10 years time so in some senses med tech moves very quickly 
but there are lots of parts of it you know for instance that the way we attach prosthetic legs hasn't changed really since the 16th century really you know so so there's there's lots of parts of it, but it's really about how technology changes us as humans so hopefully in that sense it won't be the book, the book won't be sort of out of date as soon as it's written um, that sounds fascinating and will you write fiction again are you writing fiction yeah i am starting to play around with something but again it's uh, I'm sort of doing it in more, in a much less sort of, what's the word? I'm sort of putting, what's, I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm sort of putting less energy into it in, in terms of being much more, I'm keeping it at arm's length from myself because I don't want to get too close to it at the moment. Yeah. And I think you... if, it get, if it gets to a stage where I think it might be a goer, I'd probably send 30,000 words to my agent. But I know that's the luxury that not many not you know very few writers have especially those who are starting out you know on their own without an agent yeah but I mean you know I think you've 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 earned it and also you know you have also experienced um you've experienced you know sending thousands of words out and not getting the answer you want so that that's tough to do that all over again yeah but I think this time I'm definitely going to do it for myself anyway to start with it's got to be fun and enjoyable but it's it's like all those things. It's like painting. If you turn your if you turn something you enjoy or a hobby or a passion into your livelihood, it changes. It very much changes how it feels to you. I think or can do a lot of the time. How different does writing do writing and art feel to you? Are they are they similar in the ways that they feel fulfilling? Yeah, they do. I mean, they, I feel like I'm accessing a, a very similar part of the imagination when I do both. Painting's much more physical. So things like sort of flow, if you know what I mean, being in flow and being completely in it, I find much easier with sort of painting and drawing because you're physically moving the body and you you can lose yourself in it in a way that with writing, which is essentially, in my, in my view, it's a code. You know, it's a, it, we, we all know the code quite well, but because it's this rigid code, you have to adhere to far more rules. So it's sometimes harder to get into that flow. It's a bit more of a struggle. But for me, it's in the end, writing is probably more rewarding because you can you can essentially create virtual reality, if that makes sense. You know, mm. you can create a world that has every sense in it and you can completely make someone be in that role. You can you can sort of insert your imagination into someone else's imagination. Thank you so much for listening to Write Off. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, If you do have a chance to leave a review or rating, I'd really appreciate it. You can do that in your podcast app and it really helps people find the podcast. Plus, it just makes me feel good, to be honest. Guests still to come on the podcast include Julian Fellows, Anne Napolitano, Alex Wheatle, Michelle Roberts, Phoebe Morgan and Douglas Stewart. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Francesca Steele with an E at the end. So do pop along and say hello. Um, Hope to see you there. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.